Good morning. It's good to see you. Welcome to worship with us at Barclayview Fourth Church. For those of you who are here in the building uh, and to those of you who are online, you are very welcome. This particular Sunday, the first Sunday in May last year, was my first Sunday as the minister of Barclayview Fourth Church. Thank you very much. But it's been a really weird year and a really odd start to ministry. However, um, as COVID uh, progresses and things change, hopefully, uh, things will ease enough to allow us to be able to worship together without restrictions uh, before too long. Part of that is that from next week, we are able to open the balcony And so we're going to have space for more people to come and join with us on Sunday mornings. I'm not exactly sure how many extra spaces there will be because we haven't measured it yet. But we'll let folk know during the week it will be online and we'll get word out. You still have to book, but it means that more folks can come and join with us. So now Alex is going to do our reading and then Julie is going to lead us in prayer. So today's reading is from 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have the faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and give over my body to hardship, then I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves, perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now there these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatness of these is love. Thanks be to God. This morning I am basing our prayers on verses 4 to 7 of the passage we just heard praying for ourselves and others. Let us pray. Love is large and incredibly patient. Father, you have given us guidance that we should love you and love our neighbours as ourselves. So we spend some time now bringing the needs of others to you knowing that we only see a small fraction of what is going on with our neighbours, both near and far. 
but also knowing that you are an all-seeing God and your love extends boundlessly to all. When we pray, Lord, let us be patient, both with ourselves as we fail so often, with, with you as we seek to see answers to prayer, and with others who we so often judge. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. Jesus, we thank you for your example of gentleness and kindness. Help us to follow that example. Help us step out of our comfort zone in who we are kind to. You were kind to those excluded from society, those who were seen as wrongdoers. Remove our prejudices and help us to step out as you lead us. Love refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Father, we know we are extremely blessed in this country as so many have received the COVID vaccine and others are looking to us with jealousy as we buy more and more doses. We pray for vaccine equity around the whole world. We thank you for the work of COVAX seeking to help the poorest nations but we pray for those with power and influence to stop blocking a patent waiver so that vaccine can be produced where it is needed. As your word says, love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. So we thank you for all the work of all the scientists and others who have made the vaccines possible. But in this pandemic, where we have seen the interconnectedness of all people, let us act as proper neighbours and share our knowledge as well as our products. We particularly remember India today, with so many people suffering and dying. We pray that the urgent help gets through and for strength and protection to those who seek to help the dying. Bring comfort to those who mourn. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect, nor selfishly seek its own honour. Father, we pray for the Holyrood elections this week, knowing that politics can be a place where some people seek power and honour for themselves and can seek out the worst in others. We pray for the right people to be elected to govern us at this moment in history. We ask for people who do not seek their own honour above all else, but love the people of Scotland and want to put our interests before their own. We ask for people who love the world and who want to seek solutions to the climate crisis and the many other problems facing us today. We ask for people who love you to be elected and seek your will above party politics. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offence. We pray for the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland coming up this month, which has some important decisions to make. We pray for those who will be on opposite sides of debates, that they would seek your will for the Church and go about their business in love. In these challenging times and t of change, we ask for your guidance and wisdom as we seek your will for this country.
Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. We pray for those who share information, from journalists to social media influencers. We pray for integrity and truth-seeking above mockery and hatred. We pray for those who spread lies and fake news to be stopped, especially when it leads to harm for others. Remove maliciousness from people's hearts and replace it with love. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. We pray for some of the folk in our city who are working with people who need shelter, such as Bethany and Edinburgh City Mission. We pray for the homeless, those with addictions, with asylum seekers, with sex workers, and much more. Bless and guide the people who work and volunteer in these areas. Love never fails. Never, love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Help us never to give up praying for these things that you put on our hearts, Lord. Help us to pray, to love, and to act according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a few years ago, some researchers in America asked a group of four to eight-year-olds what love was. And some of the answers were broader and deeper than I suspect they imagined. Rebecca, aged eight. My grandmother got arthritis. She couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. Billy, age four. When someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You know that your name is safe in their mouth. That's amazing. Four. What an insight. Chrissy, age six. Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your French fries without making them give you any of theirs. I think most of us have been there. No, no, I won't have any chips. I'll just have some of yours. Tommy, age six. Love is like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends even after they know each other so well. Jessica, age eight. You really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget. I think it's amazing, you know, the, what children see and notice and think. First Corinthians 13 is a chapter that's often used at weddings. Quite often folks coming, if they have no church background, they'll have Googled or other search engines are available. Um, and it comes up with, you know, a Bible passage about love. And so First Corinthians 13, it, it pops up there. Um, and if I've been doing a wedding where they've asked for it, I usually say that we've taken it out of context. It wasn't really written for that. Um, it, it was, I mean, it works for a couple who are going to get married uh, because it's all about the, the blessing uh, and the cost of love. But the context was to a congregation, and particularly a congregation that weren't getting on. So Paul has written this for the church. 
And it was a church that didn't actually understand what love was about. In uh, his letter to the church in Corinth, Paul speaks to a number of problems that they had within that congregation. One was division. There were different cliques supporting different leaders and groups within the congregation. The second was immorality. There was incest and prostitution taking place in the congregation without any form of discipline being exercised. And then there was litigation. They were taking to each, each other to court rather than trying to sort out first themselves. There was idolatry. They were mixing worship of God with the pagan practices that they used to have before they had come to faith. There were issues between men and women. There were some radical feminists there that had a desire to abolish gender distinctions. And some people will tell you the Bible's not current and relevant. Then there was food that had been offered to idols and they were wondering whether it was appropriate for them to buy meat from the market that had been offered previously to idols. Then communion, the Lord's Supper, had become a huge issue in the congregation. Now, we have communion and it's all very solemn and somber and, you know, everything's done properly and in order. We'll come on to that next week because that's chapter 14. But in this congregation, it was just a free-for-all. In those days, it was a full meal. It wasn't just the bread and wine. And so they were sharing this meal, but actually they were doing it just, everything about it really was wrong. Some were coming and they were just being greedy and overeating. Others were getting drunk at the meal. So a love feast where they were meant to be remembering the sacrifice of Jesus had become a bit of a farce. And then to the chapters we've been looking at about spiritual gifts, the exercise of spiritual gifts had made the church gatherings totally chaotic. And Paul told them that if if somebody who didn't believe came into their service, their time of worship, they would think they had lost it completely because there was just no sense to what was happening in their times together. So chapters 12 to 14 deal with spiritual gifts, and Paul has already given admonition and instruction about some of the other problems that were there. And as you've seen over the past two weeks, he uses the analogy of the body to describe what the congregation should be like, what the gifts are to be used for, and a reminder that every single person has gifts from God that are given to build up the body. None is more important than another, and every one of them is important. Every one of them, every one of you, and those of you who are online, every one of you, if you're a believer, has something to contribute to the body of Christ. But in Corinth, at the heart of these conflicts was an issue of pride. And that pride could be seen most clearly by the division that these God-given gifts were causing in that community. 
Some of the folks there had the gift of speaking in tongues. And I don't want to say too much about that uh, just now because we're going to talk about it more uh, next week. But uh, tongues essentially are types of language. Uh, broadly, uh, two uh, kind of categories. There's a heavenly language uh, and an existing language which is not known by the speaker. So the speaker is not making it up uh, through something that he knows or she knows, but it's from God. And sometimes it's a language that other people will understand. Tongues were used uh, and are used in private and personal uh, worship or in public. But if they're used in public, Paul says, somebody has got to interpret what has been said. Corinth was a major seaport. In fact, it had ports that served both the Aegean and the Ionian seas. And people from all over the known world would come to Corinth. And so you can see how, like Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, when there were people from all over the world, the gift of tongues could be really useful. If people came to worship and tongues were used appropriately, maybe God would use that scenario to speak to somebody and bring them to faith. These travelers were coming from different places, different languages, different cultures, and to hear the good news of the gospel in their own language. Well, that's what they, that's what they spoke about on the day of Pentecost. Maybe that's why this is the, the only letter that Paul speaks about tongues. So some of them had that God-given ability to speak in other languages. Some of the others there had the gift of prophecy. There's a story in the book of Acts at chapter 21 when a prophet called Agabus came to Paul and declared to him what was going to be happening in his life in the next few months. Now, I want to be quite clear, it's not like going to a fortune teller or consulting a horoscope or a Ouija board. God actually condemns those kinds of practices and activities. Prophecy is the ability to speak in a language that is understood this time by the person speaking, but it's words that are inspired and given by Holy Spirit. Lastly, 1 Corinthians 13 talks about the gifts of knowledge. The Bible is not particularly clear on what, what that entails, but it would seem that the Christians who had this gift could again bring messages directly from God for people within the community. And again, we're com coming back to that uh, in a few weeks, so I'm not going to dwell any more on it today. But in chapter 12, verse 7, Paul writes, The Holy Spirit displays God's power through each of us as a means of helping the entire church. And then, in chapter 14, verse 26, he brackets this bit of teaching by saying, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, except if you're Presbyterian, of course. Sorry, he didn't... Uh, anyway. It then goes on to say, everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Everything that we do in God's service has to be to build up God's church. And in between those two, what we have is the passage that was read for us today. The Christians at Corinth were arguing over who had the best gift. 
Was it the, the tongue speakers? Was it the prophets? Was it the folk who had the gift of knowledge? They were all important. And yet, what Paul focuses on is not these gifts, but he says it's got to do with something else. So, in the words of Tina Turner, what's love got to do with it? Well, the first thing is love makes us effective. Verses 1 to 3 tell us that. Paul tells the Corinthians that love is necessary for the proper use of spiritual gifts. You can speak in tongues, you can prophesy, you can have faith that moves mountains, but without love, they're worthless. It's great to have those gifts, but you need love. I wonder if, despite being filled with talented, committed, believing people, the church in the West is dying through a lack of love. I wonder what it would look like if congregations stopped worrying about the buildings, the types of music, the new carpet, the guild cups, whether or not they'll get permission to call a minister and set about simply loving each other and their community, displaying the grace and love of God, using the gifts that he has given to build each other up. Secondly, love exhibits our character. Verses 4 to 6. In these verses, Paul shows the characteristics that should be exhibited by someone who is possessed by love, patience, and kindness. He says love changes the possessor of love. It prevents jealousy, boasting, arrogance, and it stops you being easily provoked. Remember that the next time you're online and somebody says something you don't like. Because I don't know about you, but I've been there just ready to press that button. I thought, oh, no, don't do that. <laughs> no, no, that, that's a bad idea. Jesus is the embodiment of the love that Paul was describing to the Corinthians. When you read the Gospels, you notice that Jesus was patient and kind. He wasn't arrogant or boastful. He was never rude or offensive. He was not self-seeking or easily provoked. He kept no record of wrongs, and he didn't rejoice in evil. He is our example of love. Thirdly, love gives us endurance. In verse 7, love protects, trusts, and hopes. So we, like the Corinthian believers, should find ourselves part of a community that doesn't gossip, doesn't limit authority to a small group, and isn't always looking backwards. We want to be part of a community that stands up for the honor and integrity of its members, that allows people to take risks in God's service and to look forward in faith and expectation of the kingdom of God breaking through in power. Now, the observant among you might have noticed that I left a word out there. Paul says, love protects, trusts, and hopes, and always perseveres. We will have times of struggle. We will have doubts. Things will go wrong in our lives. 
in those times, knowing that we are loved by God and by our brothers and sisters, and having the capacity to love others will help us to overcome. Before Jesus went to the cross, he said these words to his disciples in John 13, 34, 35. He says, a new commandment I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. We've been thinking um, about growing young, the, the, the process that some of us have been involved with. And, and one of the things that um, we discovered through the research were that, was that people actually, they want community. They want to know that somebody cares for them. They want to know that they are valued, that they are included. And actually, things that we sometimes think are important what we sing, what version of the Bible we read. Do we say the Lord's Prayer? Do you know that's neither here nor there? Because actually folk are, folk are looking for family. They're looking for friendship. They're looking for love. And so you and I need to display love. When we get back to a semblance of of you know, everybody being able to be here and, and singing and, and children for kingdom kids and all of that stuff. You know, these, these children and young people are looking for somebody to befriend them, to care for them, to be a granny or a grandpa to them that, that they might not have because their granny and grandpa live hundreds of miles away or maybe just another granny and grandpa. And you and I can build the church by loving other people. So the questions for us today are these. Is God's love alive and flowing through you? Do you really love your family and your neighbors? And are you putting your faith into radical action. We're going to stand together, sing at home an older hymn, but it speaks about the amazing love that God has for the world and for us. It's the best love that you could ever have or experience. Love divine, all loves excelling.
so as you go, may the grace of God thrill your heart, the mercy of God transform your mind, the peace of God flood your soul, and the love of God flow through your life to the honor of his name. Amen.